I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Thursday, August 4th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech all in less than seven minutes. So Jay, we've talked about the Saudi live golf tour in the past, but Greg Norman, who's the commissioner of it, also a, a legendary golfer in his own right, he told the media that they offered Tiger Woods between 700 to $800 million to play in the live and he said no. What are your thoughts? What immediate reaction? My thoughts, how much money must Tiger Woods actually have that he can say no to that, but also maybe he is a man of conviction and didn't want to join the Saudi Golf League. I don't know. Or maybe he just has so much respect for the PGA he didn't want to damage it. I don't know. I, one of those three things, maybe a combination of all three. I personally think it's misguided to have that much respect for the PGA Tour to turn down that amount of money. But the thing with Tiger Woods, and I watched the documentary about him, is that he's just a very disciplined, serious guy. And so I can easily say how I see how him turning this down is just it, it, out of principle. Like that's just what he believes. And he thinks that the PGA Tour and the Masters is sacrosanct and it would tarnish his legacy. I still think it's it's crazy though. It's a lot of money. So it also goes to show how much Saudi Arabia is willing to put into this to get players. So it'll be something that will see itself shake out over the next, I, I don't know, the next season for sure. I did I did watch some of it. Did you watch any of it, Jay? It was pretty rowdy. It bored on like, like a rally of, of sorts. Yeah, it, look, I, I, I thought it was interesting. I, they have like a new team format, which I find interesting. They've got some big names now. They don't have the really big names yet or the really good guys, but they've got some big names. But the teams, I think, are where the real value is going to be created. Anyways, it'll be interesting uh, to see what happens. The other thing I read about it is that every player who plays in the tournament ends up making money. So the yeah. last place player was going to make $120,000. So it's, it's good whether you're on the top end of the live salary range or the bottom. There, there's some good paydays. It's a win-win-win. I'm not sure everybody would say that, but aside from the live golf tournament, Brett, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, Tinder is making some changes. For our second story, Nancy Pelosi is in Taiwan. And for our third story, don't bother even trying to see Batgirl because they're not even releasing it. For our first story, after an earnings report more disappointing than a bad date who didn't even offer to split the bill, Tinder is making some changes and curtailing its metaverse ambitions, Brett. Want to catch the Peak Pals on dating in the metaverse? Well, there's not much to catch them up about because it didn't really happen or hasn't happened yet, Jay. So look, last year, Tinder parent company Match Group purchased augmented reality company HyperConnect for $1.73 billion. And this was to build out a potential dating metaverse that Tinder CEO Renat Nyberg referred to as, quote unquote, I hate this, Jay, the Tinderverse. It's not great. If HyperConnect could play golf, I know where they can get some of that money. But after posting quarterly net losses of $10 million, Match concluded that going all in on the metaverse isn't a money-making proposition right now and ordered HyperConnect to shift its focus. Now, Tinder also axed its virtual currency, Tinder Coins, which I've been accumulating for years now, Jay, that could be used to make in-app purchases, and Nyberg also stepped down as CEO. Match CEO Bernard Kim said in a statement that uncertainty about the ultimate contours of the metaverse and what will or won't work was the reason for the decisions. Now, that's a fancy way of saying we need to figure out what the metaverse actually is. Yeah, and there's a bigger trend here, Jay. We talk about the metaverse a lot, and not every company can sustain the huge losses like Meta in their quest to build out their own metaverse. Given the uncertainty about metaverse products and the general economy, other businesses might start questioning how much money they can sink into a mostly hypothetical world that does not exist yet. It might not be a great place to spend money yet, but in fact, it might already be happening. A new monthly job posting across all sectors with metaverse 
in the title declined 81% between April and June, according to workplace research, Revelio Labs, meaning metaverse ambitions might be on the back burner, well, for some time. For a second story, if there's anything we can learn from Nancy Pelosi's little jaunt to Taiwan, specifically the criticism surrounding it, it's that the world is pretty freaked out about China right now. So, Jay, what's Nancy Pelosi even doing in Taiwan other than hopefully eating some delicious soup dumplings? Yeah, well, during a brief visit, the U.S. House Speaker met with Taiwan's president, the chairman of the world's biggest chip maker, and, according to some, heightened geopolitical tensions to the point of no return, which could have repercussions in the region. That's definitely what they're saying in China. Now, Pelosi's chat on economic growth and trade was overshadowed by just how mad Beijing officials were about her visit to a self-governing island that it considers to be its territory. China has already banned some fish and fruit imports from Taiwan, and the world's biggest electric car battery maker has delayed its decision to build a U.S. factory. Yesterday, Pelosi iterated America's quote-unquote ironclad goal to preserve democracy in Taiwan and touched on recently introduced subsidies for companies that open U.S. chip plants, which TSMC is doing in Arizona. So, Jay, why should Pelosi care about Pelosi's visit? Well, rising tensions between the Western world and China leave the global economy vulnerable. TSMC's chairman warned that a war with China over Taiwan could threaten to disrupt the geopolitical landscape, you know, with like the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war. Now, experts say neither side wants a conflict, especially not right now. Plus, China is still grappling with a property crisis and slowing economic growth after strict pandemic control measures. And to tie it back to Canada, which we like to do here on The Peak Daily, experts told the Global Mail that Canada needs an official strategy for the region that recognizes the security threat China poses or run the risk of falling from relevance in part of the world that is expected to be a center of economic growth. And for our last story, Brett, if you're wondering how bad a movie has to be for a studio to not even bother releasing it, you can ask a member of the test audience for Batgirl because you're not going to get a chance to see the film for yourself. They really should release it. It would become an instant cult classic. I, I feel like this might be a marketing tactic. I think it's whatever. a marketing yeah. thing. Yeah. The, so the latest DC superhero movie has been permanently shelved by Warner Brothers, despite the fact that it was one, almost finished, and two, it boasted a price tag of $90 million. That's pretty hefty. The film, which featured big names like Brendan Fraser and Michael Keaton, who's reprising the role of Batman for the last, you know, for the first time in 30 years, is now unlikely to see the light of day. Well, what's not to like, Jay? Those are those are two big names. They and, were. They were. <laughs> yeah, I guess they were. Yeah. 30 years ago. <laughs> and here's what happened to it. Batgirl was made specifically for Warner's streaming partner, HBO Max. That's Crave in Canada. But shakeups at the top after a merger with Discovery led to a shift in strategy, focusing on theatrical releases instead of streaming. Because of this, Batgirl got stuck in limbo, insiders told Variety. Too big to recoup its costs on streaming, but not worth spending the extra tens of millions in marketing for the theatrical release, Warner decided that scrapping the whole thing and calling it a tax write-off was the best option. There were also reports that initial responses from test audiences were so overwhelmingly negative that executives believed the film was unsalvageable. And here's why it matters. Studios very, very rarely leave movies unreleased, but when they do, it's usually for legal reasons or because of a problematic star, like Netflix has both Bill Cosby and Kevin Spacey starring projects somewhere in their vault. Warner's Batgirl decision is basically unprecedented and is a testament to the studio's lack of faith, both the movie and the streaming industry struggling to prove it can sustainably grow. 
Pete Bells, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review? And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Jane. Have a great rest of the day. 